Now, one of Paul's greatest declarations was he said, I know whom I have believed. You know, Paul never personally met Jesus when he was walking the earth, but he had that revelation, you know, of who Jesus was. He, got, he received a very strong, I mean, he must have received a really strong revelation because he's written a heck of a lot of the New Testament in here. So he's, he's got something in there, you know. He knew who it was that he believed in. You know, just a moment ago I said that when it comes to knowing God, at least in the Australian culture, uh, we can be pretty casual and we can be a bit laid back at times. We relate really well to the God who calls us into relationship with himself, the the all-loving Father who adopts us into his family and who calls us his children, and he even calls us his friends. We even at times can get a little over, overly familiar. Some, sometimes, some, some, sometimes we can get that pull from our, our, our culture around us and we can get a bit common and, uh, and irreverent and refer to him in such terms as like uh, the man of the good book or the man upstairs, or that kind of thing. You know, we, can, we can become a little bit lax in our relationship. And I'm not talking about a real formality here, but I'm just talking about you know, the God of heaven and earth here that we're talking about. You know, and, uh, and we don't want to become you know, flippant and, and uh, familiar and casual and disrespectful. We, we really don't. But it's not so popular anymore to remember that God is holy and majestic, that he dwells in unapproachable light, that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstools, the mountain, mountains quake at his presence, and he has the power to destroy body and soul. Our God is a consuming fire. I mean, he's big, 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 big. You know, and, uh, and so this morning as we try to get to know God a little better, I, I, I want to look more closely at his holiness. You know, the holiness of God in terms of ethical holiness, holiness of the Son, holiness of people in relationship to God and what the Bible has to say about that. And I don't think I can do all of that in, in one message, but uh, uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> we'll see how we go. I, I, I want to touch on holiness, the holiness of God, but I really want in this, this time to, to concentrate on our responsibility towards being holy, our call to be holy. I'm not intending to, to do a word study, and I'm not a scholar, and, I, and I, I'm, I don't want this to be too technical, but we need to cover some things that, that are, I guess are big, because when you're talking about the, the infinity of God, we were singing a bit about it this morning, there's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of terms and things, and I don't want to use a lot of those, but I need to go in behind them so that we get a, be, a better, a deeper, that's what my aim is this morning, is just to give us a deeper understanding of the holiness of God. So what is the holiness of God? Big question. In holiness, we see purity, perfection, the distinction and uniqueness of God, or the otherness of God. Leviticus 19.2 Leviticus 19.2 says... Give the following instruction to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
And in case you're thinking that this is only related to the Old Testament and doesn't apply to us today, Peter picks it up and he echoes exactly the same sentiments in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16, and he applies it directly to the church. That you know, we need to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. Holiness is firstly God's self-disclosure. He says, I am holy. It's his testimony that he bears of himself and it is the aspect under which he, wa- he wants, he wills for his creatures to know him. Ezekiel 39.7 says, In this way I will make known my holy name among the people of Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on it and the nations too will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I am holy is the divine self-assertion. That means it's just a very strong self-statement. I am holy is a very strong self-statement that God makes that lifts him immeasurably above his creatures and all of creation. You know, that's what we, we, we call uh, transcendence. He's above. He's beyond. He's bigger. He's other than all the rest that we can see and all the rest that we know and can relate to. In Isaiah 40.25, Isaiah 40.25 says, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Deuteronomy 4.39, Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath There is no other. There is no other. And finally, in Psalm 148, verse 13, and this is the New King James Version that I'm reading from in this case, it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heavens. God is absolutely separate from, he's different and I mean radically different, from and he is exalted far above all of his creatures. He is also equally separate from all moral evil and all sin. Holiness signifies the perfection of God in all that he is. In all that he is, and it is viewed... uh, as the, as the eternal conformity of both his being and his will together. So holiness, we can see holiness in the eternal conformity of both the being of God and also the will of God, but together. They're not separate in that sense. We have to see them together. God is holy, therefore everything he wills or does is holy. And God must be consistent with his own nature. Otherwise, he's just not God. Now, um, God does not will good. This is a good one. God does not will good because it's good. And nor is good good because God wills it. Do you want that again? All right. God does not will good because it is good. And nor is good good because God wills it. Just letting it sink for a moment. (laughs) 
Let's let it sink for a moment. God's will is an expression of his nature. He's the standard. He is the standard of everything holy and everything good. You know, I was just thinking a bit about it before. When it comes to, to things like holiness, you know, there are plenty of people out there that call themselves spiritual. When you're thinking about holiness, it always has an external reference. People always relate to holiness as an external thing. They're looking for holiness. They're looking to try and understand what that is because it doesn't reside naturally within us because of sin. It's, it's been broken. So even, even people that, that call themselves spiritual are looking for that, that but it's, it's outside. And the standard of it is God. God is his own standard. God is his own standard in all things. God, God's will is an expression of his nature, which is just holy, perfect, and pure. God is holy, therefore everything he wills or does is holy, and God's got to be consistent with his own nature. And due to the fundamental character of this very overarching attribute, uh, it, it, it should be given first place, as every other attribute of God either works with or through his holiness. So I've been really enjoying hearing some of the, the attributes of God that Clint has been telling us about and, and, and preaching about. And so when I started to look into this a little bit more deeply, it was kind of like, wow. <laughs> I just, it gave me a, even a greater and a fresher understanding and, and appreciation for the things that, uh, that Clint's been telling us and uh, teaching us about. It's been good. So... Uh, he is holy in, in everything that reveals him. Sorry, I lost my place there. <laughs> Holiness is not just a moral attribute of God. It, it can't be co coordinated with others, such as grace or mercy or patience. But it is something that is equal to and applicable to everything that can be declared of God. You know, we can tend to think that only the, the, the good attributes of God reveal his holiness, and, and that the negative attributes, you know, the, they, 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 they can tend to just show us a, an angry, tyrannical, you know, vengeful kind of God. But that's not the case. It's not the case at all. You know, God is holy in everything that reveals him. And that's what shows us his majestic holiness. You know, another aspect of holiness that, that we're, we're fully, you know, we, we might be, more aware of is is found in ritual and ceremonial cleanliness and we see a lot of that through the old testament through various uh, pr prescriptions of the law where there are sacrifices offerings and purifications that are required but for us now under the new covenant we are cleansed and we're made holy by the sacrifice of the body and the blood of jesus you know hebrews tells us a lot about that Hebrews 10.10, 10, uh, you know, verse 14, and there's other, many other places as well. We must remember that God dwells in unapproachable light and he can have no fellowship with darkness. So when it comes to sin, his perfect requirements of justice and righteousness and wrath must be completely satisfied in his holiness. And so that's why Jesus, the Son of God, had to come. God in the flesh, had to come and pay the price for our sin so that he could satisfy all that needs to be satisfied on his side of things. 
I think the ultimate or the supreme manifestation of God's love, of God's holiness, sorry, is, is found in his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that, that whosoever would come and believe would have eternal life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is holy and majestic love. Holy love in demonstration. Point two is that the Son of God is holiness in human form. The Son is God's holiness in human form. You know, this should actually be my longest point because it could be the point in and of itself. You could start and end with this, really. You know, the understanding of Jesus' importance to his church, as I look around, is probably fairly well grasped by most of us this morning. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, you know, take the opportunity later when we have a, have a tea or coffee. You know, ask questions. I mean, there's plenty of people that would love to speak to you and introduce you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you might know that eternal life that, that Jesus was talking about before. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to make a, a few brief comments. And if you want to know more about the, the character and the nature of Jesus... You could listen to anything that Tyrone Daniels preaches because you just get Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in every, every mouthful, and that's great. Or you can come tonight to the rapid fire and you'll hear more about the character and the nature of Jesus from some, uh, some wonderful new preachers that are going to tell us more from the, the Gospel of John. You know, it is the finished work of Jesus through the cross that enables us the access to be able to come to God. Yeah. To reconcile, to restore, to put back together the broken relationship between God and man. And that was due to sin. The person, life and the words of Jesus through the Bible and the witness of the Holy Spirit within our spirit. They're the main means by which we come to know God. Now, Colossians 2.9 says, In Christ all the fullness of God dwells in a human body. You think about that, you know. The infinite God, all the fullness of the infinite God dwells in a finite human body. Now, only God can do that. Surely only God can do that. That's a real, uh, that's a mind, mind teaser and a half. Jesus tells us in John uh, 4, 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. In verse 7, he says, If you know me, you know the Father, and now you've seen him. In verse 9, he goes on to say, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in verse 10, he says, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but they are my Father's who lives in me and does his work through me. Jesus is the perfect representation of God's nature. God's character, and therefore God's holiness in every single way. Amen. And that cannot, that point cannot be emphasized enough. It's the, the, the thing that gives the distinction to us as Christians, you know, as those who follow Christ, as opposed to those who just call, call ourselves you know, Christians by name. That was point two, and I tell you, it was short. <laughs> it should be, as I said, it should have been the longest. Uh, point three, man's call to holiness. 
man's call to holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. Who knows that God always calls us into what looks like the impossible? Yeah, he asks us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because what's impossible with us is possible with God. It is possible with God. And in holiness, we have this idea of devotion, of being set aside or separated for service to God. It speaks of our relationship to God, which results in godly conduct and moral excellence in us. That's what calling to holiness results in in the end. A predetermined state that God's grace calls us into. It's the Christian course that we begin to pursue and we begin to live out. We begin to walk that relationship out. We become the light of the world that Jesus talked about, the city on the hill. So God sees us at salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus and he says, you are holy, you are perfect, you are pure, you are Christ-like. And then he sees us through the course of our life here on earth and then he sees us at the end when we appear before him in eternity, finished and completed in holiness. And our life here on earth, in the middle bit here, is where we experience the process of what's called sanctification or that process of being made holy. This is the bit where we get to be made holy. That is why we're given the deposit of the Holy Spirit who resides within us to lead us and to guide us into all truth, Jesus said. And that's where our part comes in. We can either partner with God in being obedient to His Word and the promptings of His Spirit, or we can be stubborn and we can get a little inflexible, a bit resistant, a little bit hard-hearted. And we can find ourselves in the end actually opposing God. And you know, that process is so sneaky. It's a word I actually like. It's called surreptitious. It's, it's just a word that means really, really sneaky. It comes up on you and you often don't realize that it's even arrived. And you know, in our culture, it's just so easy to be sucked away and end up just slowly, slowly, bit by bit, gradually, gradually. And you don't realize it when it's really slow and it's really gradual unless you make a predetermined decision to stay very focused and to walk out that relationship day by day, that call to holiness day by day. This has an effect. You know, if we become hard-hearted and stubborn and disobedient, inflexible, a bit resistant, it has an effect not only in our own lives but also on the rest of the church. Yeah. You know, Paul describes the body, the church, and it says when one he says when one rejoices, all rejoice. When one mourns, all mourn. You know, when there's a part of your body that's not right, the rest of the body suffers along with it. You know, you, you know that. And so we, we are the body of Christ and we always, each one of us has got our part to play in actually building one another up. We have our part to play. We affect one another. And that's why we have to be in unity always. 
always. You know, one of the truths of Scripture that runs a thread right from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation is the fact that God calls, God moves, God works in the lives of human beings, and it is our responsibility to respond to Him. God does the calling. God moves in our heart. He provides everything that we need. But we are the ones that need to respond to him. And so we have to choose our response. What kind of response is that going to be? The Bible has a lot to say about obedience. It's just something that we can't escape. It's something we can't escape. Hebrews 5.8 says, Even though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I want you just to remember, Jesus dwelt amongst us as a sinless human being, not as the divine Son of God. And so he learned. He had to learn obedience. Philippians 2, uh, 7. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 says uh, that Jesus laid aside all of his divine privileges. So as a sinless human being... Jesus had to learn to choose obedience. And in verse 8 it says that he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death upon the cross. That's the extent to which he learnt that obedience and followed that obedience. But I want to say to you that obedience is like character and it needs to be tested and it needs to be proven. You know, obedience is not a one-off thing. I was obedient once. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but it needs to be done again. You know, it's an ongoing thing. It's just got to be done again and again. You know, the Bible speaks of, of, of obedience to God, of obedience to His Word, of obedience to the Spirit, obedience to the commands of Christ. And so how will we respond in God's way or our way? In obedience or in disobedience. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong, because it probably sounds a bit legalistic here at the moment. I'm sure it does. I'm listening to myself, and I'm thinking, yeah, it sounds a little bit legalistic. But it, it's, it's actually not about do's and don'ts. It's not about rights and wrongs. It's not about chapter and verse, and it's not about law. It has nothing to do with any of those things. You know, obedience was the issue in the Garden of Eden. And that was probably a little over two and a half thousand years before the law was even given through Moses. So obedience in that sense has nothing to do with the law. It's about relationship and understanding who it is that we've been called in relationship to. And the high price that was paid in the, Christ, in the cry, cross of Christ to actually reconcile that relationship. This is the process of salvation. We, um, God, God calls us and he convicts us of our sin. Okay? And, and then we begin to respond. We begin to respond to him in repentance and confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we begin to experience the regeneration of God in our lives, in our, in our spirit and in our soul. Okay? In our spirit and in our soul. 
in that regeneration, we start to see the beginnings of God working in, on, and through our lives. Changing our heart, refining our character, and transforming us into the image of Christ. That's the end goal. Transforming us into the image of Jesus. Now that's on God's side and and that's the work that he does in our lives. And the Father will perfect his holiness within us through the finished work of the Son on Calvary's cross and also by the power of the Holy Spirit in regenerating and renewing us in in spirit, in our soul and also in our body. I'm looking forward to that day, I can tell you. Looking forward to that. In that day. (laughs) Yeah. Now our part... Is, is conversion. And conversion is our response to what God is doing in our lives, where we actively engage in the process of being holy. That's really what conversion is all about, actively engaging in that process of being made holy, of walking out our relationship with Jesus day by day, very consciously, very consciously doing that not just allowing ourselves to drift. Conversion begins the journey of discipleship through which a person who is once a slave to sin is being freed by the Holy Spirit for holiness, for God-likeness, to be like God in all ways, in everything, in all of our thoughts. In all of our words, in all of our actions, in all of our motives, in all of the desires of our heart, and in all of our attitudes, in every part of us. So how can I sum this up simply? Holiness for us is God-likeness. In all of our being, in our will, in our character, and in all of our ways. It is setting aside our old sinful self and putting on the new self of Christ-likeness in everything we think, in everything we will, and in everything that we do. It's working with God and keeping his word and allowing the Holy Spirit access to all areas of our lives. He works on us to transform us into the image of God's one and only glorious son. Pure, perfect and distinct in every way to his glory. You know, God God wants to pour pour out his Holy Spirit in power through his church. Amen. I have a real witness about that in this, these last days. And uh, it, I believe it's a real truth. He's desiring to draw more people to himself and to demonstrate his never-ending, never-changing, never-giving-in, never-giving-up, always and forever love. And that is through us to those around us. He's always wanting to bring, you know, God's desiring to bring a healing and a wholeness and a restoration, a reconciliation. 
into lives, into broken relationships, into broken bodies and into broken souls. And I believe that our challenge this morning is just in yielding to God, but also at the same time working with him to align ourselves with his will so that we can attain his ways. We can attain his ways. Then we're going to see a flow of the Holy Spirit that is, is great, a great, great in power like we haven't seen since the early days of the church. You know, something that was really on my mind, I, I believe that that's kind of a word for us. I'll go off the, the page just for a minute. I really do believe that it, it is a word for us. God is desiring. He wants to pour out his power. I've heard words that have come to us from other preachers, other, other prophets that have come along and said, God is desiring to pour out his power and his spirit through us in a mighty way. In a mighty way. But, and this is the one that really grabbed my attention, it was going to depend on our desire. Now, we can desire to want to have the power of God. That's great. You know, we want to see people saved. We want to see people healed. We want to see people come and experience the gifts of the Spirit. We want to see those changes and the demonstrations of the power of God. Because that's what's real and very tangible to, to people that, that are out there and to us as well. It reminds us of who God is. But for us to experience that, and it was the same for the early church, for us to experience that, it requires for us to be very aligned with God. And that is where holiness comes in. You see, because God will not allow his power to be put into the hands of anybody. And let's face it, he works through his church. So where's his church at the moment? And we're going to just look broadly based, and I'm not going to speak anything in any sense. You can draw the picture for yourself. Look at the church in Australia. We can just pick on that one. And you can see how it is as a whole and where it is and where it's broken and where it's crumbling, where it's falling down. You can also see other places where it's not, where it's growing, where it's green, where it's alive and where it's beginning to grow wildly you know, and it's, and it's uncontained. It's, un, it's uncultured in that sense. It's a wild olive that's growing. But God is desiring to pour out his power. The thing is, before that happens, we have to be in a place of holiness. We've got to be in the right place. We have to be in the right place. And I don't know about you, but I have a hunger and a desire. <laughs> I want to see God move. I do. Not for my own sake. Not for my own sake. But for whosoever will come. For our sake and for whosoever will come. You know, Jesus said, it's open to everybody. It's open but who's going to take the invitation? The gate's narrow. And I, I know that the word that I've spoken this morning, it's a discipleship message. And that's the way that God is wanting us to be in discipleship. In discipleship. The thing is, I think to, to, to finish off and to, to leave it, is that I really feel that what God said to Joshua, actually, in, in Joshua, I think it's in around about chapter 3, and he said, to Joshua, consecrate yourselves. So purify yourselves, make yourselves holy for tomorrow. 
the Lord will do wonders amongst you. And he desires to do that. So I, I, I think I'd, I'd leave you with that and just say, make a choice. Consecrate yourselves for, for tomorrow. For tomorrow. I pray it's today. <laughs> I pray it's today that the Lord will do wonders amongst us.